Hello. This is the recording of the sixth Twitter Spaces that I did with my friend V. This particular recording also saw a fair contribution from Miranda, a mutual tweep of ours who lives in Netherlands. This edition is on solo travel. I usually travel on my own, and here I explain why, and whether there are any problems associated with that, especially with relevance to my mental health or personal safety. We also discuss the benefits and malefits of group travel, whether my experiences of solo travel would be different if I presented differently, and why I'm very unlikely to ever be taken in by a cult. Usual disclaimer, be aware this conversation took place over the phone and is recorded via my computer's internal audio card, so the quality won't be as great as my normal podcast episodes. In fact, when I was editing it, I realised it sounded pretty variable and dodgy. Blame Twitter for not allowing me to do spaces through my computer. Hello, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a fortnightly series looking at unfamiliar places around the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. Well, that was um, that. That was more efficient than last time. It went very well, didn't it? It did. I, I'm impressed. Just before we start, though, have you got your phone on Do Not Disturb so that it doesn't start ringing? Um, I have my phone on flight mode. Okay, that works as well. <laughs> um, note that um, obviously it doesn't stop people from WhatsApping me, Laura, but it should. <laughs> It should prevent issues. Okay. Excellent. Uh, and we are actually on time. We are starting on time. We are. We are. I, I will do my usual little introduction. Um, I am here with the Barefoot Backpacker, who is RTW Barefoot here on Twitter. They travel beyond the brochure so that you don't have to, with very little luggage and rarely any shoes. Um, but often, as we are here to discuss, also completely alone. I got something stuck in my foot yesterday. Oh, no. I forgot about um, that. Have you actually managed to get it out now? Most, I've, I've genuinely no idea. I mean, it, it, uh, possibly. Um, I mean, I can't get it out any further than I have. So, you know, it's there. If it's still there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. It's fine. Do you know what I said? Um, rub some soap on it to draw it out. Yeah. I might do that later. Oh, you're terrible. <laughs> Inconvenient. I've I've completely lost where I was in your introduction, by the way. <laughs> that has completely thrown me off course. <laughs> What's throwing me off course is that somewhere what the, the flat near me that often plays the Venger Boys is currently playing the Spice Girls. <laughs> well, we can't hear it, but yeah. Bit of a shame, actually. Give it a little nineties vibe. For... Well, yes. I mean, I mean, the Venger Boys are nineties as well. well but true, anyway, true. So, 
If you want to follow the Barefoot Backpackers' adventures, you can find their podcast, Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, and blog posts and pictures from their travels on their website, barefoot-backpacker.com, or you can follow them on Instagram as barefoot underscore backpacker. I think I've got those two the right way around. I have no idea. I, I mean, I've had them both for years and I still can't remember. Certainly the website is a hyphen. I have no idea what the Instagram is. Uh, if the website is definitely a hyphen, then yes, your Instagram is an underscore. <laughs> um, I will put those at the end of the um, space as well and talk about your link tree so that people can find you in other places. So, Yay. So our, po- our space podcast thing today is all about solo travel. So you often travel alone. Why? Um, yes, I travel alone. Um, yeah, several reasons. Um, I mean, we, we discussed on a previous space uh, that I'm not overly fond of structure and admin. So I like to do my own thing at my own time, at my own pace, often completely randomly, and which upsets people when I travel with them. And this, I mean, it's not just traveling it's the whole concept of travel you know from booking in the first place to you know day-to-day activities uh part of that is that i rarely book in advance or at least in advance as many of my friends would like me to um this is because i like to keep my options open and mitigate the things that can go wrong and i know a lot of people just don't vibe with that they like things set in stone they like things confirmed as early as possible for their own self-confidence so when i rock up and says no i haven't booked that flight yet i've still got three weeks they go Eh, what? Yeah, I think when we were talking about the planning when you're not a planner space, you mentioned that you have sometimes just made a booking on the day. Yep. I I couldn't cope with that. Yep, yep. And nor can anyone else. And that's, I mean, the <laughs> because I like to do things at the last minute, that also forces me to travel solo a lot. So, you know... um, you know, I decide to have a week off from my day job three days before I go. And wouldn't it be a grand idea to spend that week in my Malta or something? Uh, so, you know, most people I know can't react that quickly. Mm-hmm. So they've got, they've got like family commitments or work commitments. They can't get the time off or they've planned you know, something else for a couple of days when I've decided to go and they can't change them. Some of my other friends live on a strict budget, so they wouldn't necessarily be able to afford to travel with me at a moment's notice. Also, I don't have very many people, many friends who live locally. So if I'm traveling with someone, that requires a certain amount of logistics, which makes things a bit more complicated because they may not you know, easily be able to get to the destination that I want to go to. Um, also, destination itself. It's another aspect. Even the travel friends that I have, you know, the travel bloggers on Twitter, for instance. Hello they'll tend to go to places that they know and places that they love, places popular or at least relatively simple to access. So, you know, if I travel to places like Rome or New York or Southeast Asia on a semi-regular basis, then, yeah, I'd be more likely to be able to travel with a companion. But I go beyond the brochure. I travel to places that are, hmm, shall we say, less attested. So places so that we don't have to. <laughs> I'm, I, indeed. I, I, I've been to places that many of my friends had you know, never heard of until I'd gone. Know nothing about them, can't even spell them. So would never have been to many of the places. Or they, they would just, they, they just, those places wouldn't have been on their radar to visit. So they're kind of, because they're new and strange and unusual, they're, they're, they 
kind of feel unlikely to want to visit them. So they prefer to travel mm. vicariously through me. We, we, we say I go to these places so you don't have to. And in that respect, it's not a negative thing. It, it always sounds like a negative thing. But mm. really, it's the case of I'm going to these places so that you can travel to them through me. Uh, yeah. So you probably never, ever go to Kyrgyzstan. But this is what it looks like. Isn't it great? Um, yes. Yeah, that is what I love about your blog and your podcast. Because I'm never going to be able to go to Chernobyl. I'm too busy to go to Chernobyl right now. <laughs> Chernobyl's a bit busy right now. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you, it was a while back that you went, though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, 2014. Um, <laughs> the, the other, th- I was going to say, the other thing about traveling is, I my randomness is also apparent when I travel. So I'll just take last minute options. I'll take random movements. So I, you know. I mean, a simple thing like I'll be walking around the road and then veer off sharply down an alleyway because ooh, some street nice street art that's pretty zoom and then I disappear for five minutes and uh, my companions no longer know where I am mm-hmm. uh, and there's also the whole um, I've no idea what I'm doing tomorrow I don't even know which country I'm going to be in tomorrow it's far too soon to be thinking about that sort of thing um, so I'll you know wake up in the morning and go hmm shall I go north shall I go south who knows it's exciting um, so traveling with me, it's kind of like a veritable pot of chaos. You're <laughs> not quite sure what's going to happen next or indeed where you're going to end up. Um, I mean, I can see the appeal of that, to be honest, that spontaneity and being able to just branch off and do whatever. Yes. I'm just not sure that I could personally cope with it. <laughs> You'd have to be the right sort of person to cope with it and not that many people are. I mean, mm. we talked we talked in the planning space that I do actually plan trips, but only in so much as work out whether I want to go there or not, work out what mm. there is to do, and is it worth my while visiting? Everything else, I'll leave to chance, or at least I leave to when I get there, because sometimes it's easier. Um, and there's the other, less pressure on you then as well, isn't yeah. there, to decide what to do? Yes. Yeah, and 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 this is this is a thing. I mean. One of one of the other issues is that I'm kind of not that good with people. So mm-hmm. I, I very much like my own space and I very much like to do my own thing. And that causes trouble if the person that I'm traveling with has different tastes and different styles of travel. Mm-hmm. So what it ends up with is being is quite often I'd you know, I'd rather be on my own than with someone else anyway, um, because I'm naturally a loner type person. Mm-hmm. Um, and Traveling with someone, sometimes I feel kind of awkward around them and feel I'd be more comfortable if they weren't there and I'd be free to do my own thing. I am also aware, as a side issue, that I people please a lot. Traveling with someone makes me more likely to defer to them and their interests rather than doing what I want to do. And also, I kind of feel the need to be with them all the time because in my head, it's like our trip rather than my trip and your trip. Yeah. Um, So... I mean, I, I have traveled with people and my ideal travel companion, I guess, is someone very similar to me. So someone very much happy to, you know, get on, do their own thing. And I do my own thing. And we just meet up in the evenings to chat about what we've done in that day. Mm. Um, it's kind of like think of it as, as less less of two people traveling together and more. We're just two people that happen to be going along the same route at the same time, staying in the same places, um, which is. 
like two toddlers that play next to each other instead of with each other. <laughs> yeah. Yes, very, very much so. But that requires someone treating travel the same way I treat travel. And there's not that many people around that do that. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose a lot of people worried that they will waste their time while they're away, so they like overplan all of it yeah. and feel under a lot of pressure to see all of the things. Yes. But obviously, when we were talking about that on the travel planning space, we established that that's not really the way that your brain works. It isn't. Uh, and also, I like to be able to change my mind and go, ooh, that's shiny. Let's go over there, which may not be on the plan. Yeah. Well, it's not my plan because I don't. Uh, it, it wouldn't be on their plan. And what I don't want to happen is sort of um, angst or um, arguments to take place between us. Yes, yeah. And, you know, I said about, you know, I'm, I'm beholden to them and I, I tend to people, please. I'm also worried that they might be doing the same thing. Mm. So we end, up, we end up in a loop of, do you fancy going there? I don't know. Do you want, do you want to go there? I don't know. Do you want to go there? I don't mind. I don't mind or, either. Or even worse. Just both of you doing something that you absolutely loathe because you think the other person really wants to do it. <laughs> yes, I mean, I do have, I do have um, limits. I do have um, hard limits and soft limits with travel. I mean, mm. hello, full sort radio. You know what I'm on about. Um, <laughs> like um, theme parks. It's not that I avoid theme parks. It's just that I don't like roller coasters. And yeah. I know I've got quite a few friends that would travel with me that do like roller coasters. Hi, Laura. Mm -hmm. And um, that's you're highly unlikely to get involved with things that involve getting into the water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll happily watch you white water raft, but I'm not going to join you. <laughs> you know, so I want to get out alive. <laughs> well, that leads quite nicely onto my next question, actually, because I, I spoke to a couple of people before I did this space. And when I said what the topic was, all of them said, well, don't they get scared on their own? So <laughs> don't you get scared? <laughs> yes, but like 95% of the time, that's just standard social anxiety. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm scared of people, I think, more than anything else. But not people, people, more kind of situations and experiences. Um, so I, mean, I don't think I've ever been scared, scared, you might say, when I've been traveling in the sense that kind of the, the, the most fearful time I have is always the 10 minutes before landing in my first country. And I, I, I know I'm going to have to speak to someone or otherwise work out how to do things in a strange new place where I don't understand the culture or the language. That's the, the most I get scared. However, huge, huge caveat with this. Um, a large part of that is because um, of the way I present. I am one meter 90 tall, middle-aged, white and male presenting. So, you know, my fears are largely mental ones rather than absolute ones. So I'm more scared of being late for things than I am of being assaulted or, you know, taken advantage of being a solo traveler. Um, that might be different if I presented more femme, but I know an enormous number of solo female travellers, and I'm sure if you asked them the same question, they'd give a different answer, but they still travel solo. So mm. if they do it, I don't feel as anxious about doing it. So no, I don't think I've ever been, I've never had a situation where I've actually been actively scared when I've travelled. I mean, that is, unless you count, you know, being in a bus driven by someone that doesn't quite understand how roads work. But that's not an issue about being solo traveller, that's just an issue about being a traveller. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned um, social anxiety there, 
Um, how do you cope with that when you're traveling on your own then? Because there must be times when you're forced to push through it because you don't have somebody to sort of, I don't know, speak to somebody about buying a train ticket or whatever. Yes. Um, it's it, it usually happens in those situations, you know, where I, I need to, to buy stuff or ask for information. Uh, the internet, the internet is a wonderful thing for people like me. It means I can sort things out without having to do any of that. I can also do it on the move rather than having to make phone calls in advance. So if I need a hotel for the night, it's a website for that. I can be on a train at three, book a hotel at four, check in at five. It's great for my last minute vibes, as well as my social anxiety vibes. Um, I, I do have issues though with things like automated purchase screens. You know, things like uh, self-service checkouts in supermarkets or even at railway stations. You know, I, I, I worry about things like, what if they only have Italian information in Italian? What if I press the wrong button and break it and someone has to come over and help? This has happened in French supermarkets. Mm. What do all the options mean? Why isn't there an easy to follow instruction guide? All that sort of thing. It, it, that, it, it, part of it is knowledge. Part of it is that I'm, I've never used something before. So I go, oh, my God, how does this work? I mean, um, to be fair, I don't like self-service um, tills even here for that reason because I'm scared I'm going to break it and it will shout at me and someone will have to come and then I'm holding up the queue and that's that's bad enough even if you do understand the language. In the, in the early days of self-service machines in the UK I had one instance and I can't remember where it was I think it was in a spa uh, or a you know a, a, what what would now be a Tesco Express where I bought three items and had to call the people over four times because it broke. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> See, I do. I pretend I'm taking a principled stand against them, but really, I'm just terrified of them, so I don't use them. <laughs> I shouted them. I, I shut up. I, I, I know. I know. I, no, I don't have a, a reward card. No, yes, I do have a bag. I don't need you to tell me every single thing. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I know why. I know why they do it. it it's, it's accessibility and things like that. It just, mm -hmm. it just annoys me to be constantly harassed by it checkout machine voice thing <laughs> anyway uh we will say oh oh yeah i know what i was gonna say so i'm very bad for this but i have been known to use my travel companion as the first point of contact so i have a tendency some people have noticed this to encourage people i'm traveling with to be the first of us to walk into places like restaurants and shops i do this in the uk um, you know, I, know. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do so that you, you know, they can ask. The problem is when I don't know if you noticed, but when we met, I also do that because I don't like to be the first person to walk in. And so <laughs> in the pub that we went to, there were two doors and you held the first one open for me. So I'd have to go in first. So I held the second one open for you. <laughs> awesome. I prefer them to only be one door. It makes things a lot easier. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do it so that, you know, the first person that goes in then gets approached by the um, whoever and they can ask if there's a free table or what have you or if they sell a particular product. Um, and you can hang back and be quiet then. Hang back and be quiet, absolutely. Um, what I do also think, though, um, sort of strangely at odds with that is that... Um, Sometimes I feel more self-confident having a travel companion around because mm. I know because you know I'm I, I'm I know I'm perceived as being not on my own and therefore even less visible. So I feel more comfortable being me, but I still leave all the conversations to them. 
Yeah. Um, now, obviously, I travel alone a lot. Um, and the original point of the question, because I've waffled a lot, is how do I cope with it being on my own? And I think the way, best way of describing it is it's very often a simple case of getting into a position and a mindset where my fear of failure, or at least my fear of wasting time and money, is greater than my fear of social anxiety. <laughs> so I can feel like I have to bite the bullet and make contact because otherwise my journey there will have been a bit of a waste of time. Yeah. Or, or, or I know that if I don't, for example, buy something, then I won't eat for two to three days. And that's clearly not a healthy situation to put yourself in. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I do lose weight often when I'm traveling, partly because of this very reason. Uh, I do eat less than what I do at home. This is also partly because I keep myself so busy walking around that I almost forget to eat. But well, again, that's a great combination. That is, <laughs> no food, lots of walking. I'm not sure that's good for you. <laughs> it's not, especially if you go to really hot places. Um, yeah. But again, I mean, there's a social anxiety to that as well. So, I mean, obviously, I do like walking, um, but I've been known to do it in foreign cities because I may not have figured out how the local transportation system worked, and I'm not comfortable asking anyone. So mm. I'd rather, you know, walk 10 kilometres across the city than get a tube. Whereas with a travel companion, they can do all the asking on my behalf. That sounds really, mm. really sort of selfish of me, doesn't it? Um, as long as your travel companion isn't also somebody that has social anxiety and is somebody that feels quite confident in themselves, then it's not well, a problem, right? In, indeed. No, um, yeah, I mean, so I suppose my, my ideal travel companion needs to be kind of like an extrovert. And as you mm -hmm. say, there needs to be someone that's you know, very self-confident in themselves. Um, and I mean, you you start, <laughs> you open the question by saying that you'd asked people and they said, well, you know, don't they get scared? And, and certainly when I've spoken to people like my old work colleagues, when I've been traveling around the world, um, they've said, how can you travel on your own to those strange places? You must be so brave. I could never do that. And I really hate that. I hate it because, well, it's then making me appear better and more confident than I really am. And I don't see it that way. Um, mm. I guess I, I, I <sighs> sometimes I don't think about it. I just kind of have to do it and then it gets done. Yeah. And it's coupled partly with the obviously the more you know beforehand about how things work, the more you can do things without needing to ask. Yeah. And the one interesting point to note is once I've done something once, it becomes much easier because once I've done it once, I've got firsthand experience about what to do, what to expect and how it works. I can totally relate to that in yeah. non-travel context. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, the same is true for non-travel context as well, but uh, certainly in a travel context in a foreign country where you don't know anything, mm -hmm. doing it once having that practical experience of having done it once means that you know how it works. So, you know, you can do it again. Yeah. And it becomes easier because you know what to look for, you know how to do it, you know what the process is. A lot of it is about the process. A lot of it is about literally how do you do this? What steps do you have to take to do this? Sometimes you can find that online beforehand and sometimes you can't. It helps to like watch what other people do sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's also another good reason why you should always learn what the numbers are in a foreign language before you go. Do you know, that's the bit that I always find the most difficult when I'm looking at a new language. Like, I've been learning a language for a year now, and I still can't count to ten in it. 
That's yeah. Um, this may be a discalculia thing. <laughs> possibly, or it might be just because you're using um, Duolingo and it tells you things about bears and and, yeah. and gin, but it doesn't yeah, tell you anything. I, I do about. know how to tell you that there is a bear in the train station. So yeah. I, I'd be I'd be worried if there was a bear in the train station. I mean, obviously, it depends what sort of bear. Um, <laughs> um, you might like to know. <laughs> might be pertinent information well um i mean it depends if you've got you know a naked hairy grizzly bear or a naked hairy gay man i mean it's <laughs> those are slightly unusual to find in a train station but one of them is easier to cope with anyway <laughs> back to social anxiety <laughs> so um is there anywhere that you wouldn't travel on your own <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yes there are uh, so places where getting around is either beyond my social anxiety level uh, or where the sheer admin required in doing so makes it too much of a faff um one of the biggest ones is russia uh, i wouldn't go to russia on my own um partly because yania gavriti paruski which doesn't help if you want to travel up the nsa river in the middle of siberia on your own because you know how the hell do you get there? How the hell do you arrange that on your own? Yeah, um, with a completely different alphabet as well, it's even yeah. harder to sort of puzzle out what a thing might mean. Yes, yes, yes. And and language barrier and alphabet and abjad barrier is quite a tough one for me. So yeah. I'm also reluctant to go to places like Japan and China because uh, I know I would just have so much social anxiety in trying to do simple things on my own, like, you know, by lunch yeah um and another place for similar reasons but also admin uh, is india um i know that it's incredibly overly complicated to buy a train ticket for instance but also the sheer volume of people especially people looking at me as a solo foreign traveler and wanting my attention i've had this before i had it in west africa and especially in Bangladesh, where people, well, mostly with, they were surprised I was there, to be honest. But mm. certainly in Bangladesh, the attention I got made me feel like a, a minor celebrity. Selfie, mm. selfie. You must have really hated that. Well, um, I mean, it's okay in the short term. It's okay for the little bursts. But it, it did kind of feel like I was some kind of, you know, this, this is why I don't want to be famous. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, have this, I have this feeling that, somewhere like India, because I don't know, I just have this feeling it would just be even like that, but even more so. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously being solo is, when you travel solo, I can at least have somewhere to escape and go back to on my own, like my hotel room or what have you. But what if I don't feel like leaving it once I got there? Like, um, that's what happened to me in Ethiopia. It's like, I, 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 everything is getting to me and I can escape to this room, but I will not leave this room. How, can, you know, it's too much. How do I cope with it? Going mm. home, which isn't you know the best way of doing it, but hey, um, I, I, I did I did hear someone say something about India though, um, as a Western traveller to India, whether regardless of whether you're solo or not, there's a, a kind of a point in time that acts like a crux, and they they say that if you can get through the first eleven twelve days of it without going home, without getting really angsty, then and the mental pressure to do so is you know, quite big because it's just so, so intense. If you can get through that 11 to 12 days, you end up actually really loving it and you want to spend months there. 
Um, mm. It's a love or hate it sort of thing. Very much so. Um, but obviously soloing it makes it just that bit more intense. Yeah. Um, which is something I need to be aware of when I travel. Um, but, I mean, the, the language thing, uh, weirdly, the worst places I've had for that vibe have been in Europe. Oh, really? But I think and the reason for that is because if I go to somewhere like Cambodia, I know there's almost no expectation that I will know Khmer. Mm. So me being the ignorant foreign tourist, I it, it's not as bad a vibe because mm -hmm. I'm not expected to... I mean, it, it's really nice if I could, but it's not, you know, I, if I walk into a shop and start speaking in Khmer, then the person behind the counter would probably go, what the fuck? Yeah. Whereas somewhere like Italy, I just, and, and Spain, I, I get, I have the, and this may just be entirely in my head, I have the vibe that they kind of, expect you to know more Italian or Spanish than you do. Yeah, sort of like tried to have yeah. a go. Yeah. Um, which I've never studied any word of it either in my life. Um, I want to learn Spanish. And it would be trivial for me to learn Spanish in a way because I've got several friends who are fluent native speakers. But um, I'm, as previously discussed, really bad with languages for social anxiety issues. Um, but I've never, I've never touched Italian at all, and it was never an option. It, it just, it's never been on my radar. I've never had the opportunity to do it anyway. What's that? You would feel too self-conscious trying to speak the language, or I, I feel self-conscious speaking English half the time. <laughs> Relate. <laughs> So do you ever feel like um, when you're traveling alone that you get taken advantage of because you're alone? Um, possibly. I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, so I said that, you know, my, my, I talked about the way I present myself earlier, at least the way I'm perceived. And I, 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 I imagine that this leads people to be less inclined to try stuff with me. Mm. So. And, and as we talked about in one of the previous spaces, I kind of zone out when I'm walking. I don't pay attention to anything, which means it's much harder to scam me, for instance, because I just don't have the conversations in the first place. Yeah. And then being an introvert means I you know, tend to ignore people in pubs, restaurants, cafes, whatever, who try to converse with nefarious intent. Or at least I don't really get interested in what they say, which you know, comes to the same thing, because then they get bored with me and bugger off. Uh, mm. And... You know, things like I, I, I'm never in I'm never in the, the space to buy things, regardless of how excited someone is in this object or whatever, because, you know, I, I, I tend to travel with hand luggage. So I don't quite know exactly where I'm going to put that replica ancient carpet. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I don't need these crystals if it's not really cubic zirconia, honestly. It's like, what would I do with them? Where would I put them? I don't need it. So I'm I'm never looking to buy stuff. So, you know, they say, and, and then I've got um, things like um, people might say, come with me and I'll show you all the great sites of the city. And I'll go, nah, I'm, I'm cool walking. Cheers. But it's a long way. Yeah, dude. A, I walk a lot at home. 20 kilometers is ordinary for me. And B, 
I've got a map. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> and, then, and then I walk off at speed. So uh, uh, remember that most scammers go for easy targets. Uh, yeah. and I am not an easy target for many, many reasons. Um, Scientology tried to get me once. <laughs> they, they, they failed. Cause I don't I, really understand how we've been friends for so long and I haven't heard the story about how Scientology almost got you. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it was one of those, um, they're in the street asking questions and then come with us and do this survey. So I did. And then oh, you know, <laughs> you know, we said, oh, why, why didn't you come to the meeting? And I just said, yeah, whatever. Uh, and then um, they phoned me up and said, why aren't you coming to the meeting? I said, can't be asked. Um they basically failed because I couldn't be mithered with all the admin. And, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got better things to do with my life than go to meetings. I, I don't do social things. Um, it was raining and the football was on. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm, fa I'm fairly hard to, to tempt because I just, and there's two things. One is that I don't pay attention anyway. And then the second thing is, you know, 10 minutes after it's happened, I've just kind of forgotten completely what, anything they said <laughs> so. so yeah you're not really into cults that have got a long commitment <laughs> that afternoon <laughs> is really where you're at <laughs> i'm not into commitment let's be honest <laughs> you know um <laughs> <laughs> um I've, i don't know getting a train journey is a commitment it, i suppose that's probably why you leave these things to the last minute when you're yeah. booking and stuff, because you don't want to feel committed to a thing. Absolutely. If you wake up on that day and you don't fancy it because you travel on your own, it doesn't matter. You're not letting anybody down if you don't do the thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I've said that before. It's just, I change my plans at the last possible moment. Sometimes I don't make plans anyway, and then I just decide to do whatever I want to do. Uh, and it confuses people because they go, well, I thought you, we thought you were going to go to X. No, I can't be allowed to go to X. I want to go to Y instead. So um, when you're travelling on your own, you don't get bored? What is boredom? I mean, ostensibly, what is boredom? I, no, I, I mean, um, right, so the short answer is yes. The slightly longer but still short answer is people bore me as well. Um, <laughs> you know, th th there's only so long I can hear someone talk about themselves and what's been happening in their, in their work life before I switch off and start thinking about why there is someone standing in the middle of the road with a guitar. <laughs> um, I have a short attention span and quite a large imagination. So a lot of the times, boredom never happens because I've, I can zone out and I can lose myself in my own thoughts. So is that how you cope with like a really long bus journey when you're on your own, you just sort of disconnect your brain? Yes. I mean, I, I can look out the window of a train or a bus for 10 hours at the passing landscape and not think anything of it, even in the dark, even in the dark through Ohio. Um, or I have things with me like, um, so I'll always have a notebook and a pen. I'll have podcasts I can listen to. I have things I can read if I feel in the right mood. I've got my phone to connect with people online with and i can do that while traveling i can do it in a restaurant in my bed wherever really i can always find things to do um mm. I, I'm, I'm never bored the only time i get and it's not boredom it's it's impatient is waiting for things like waiting for a bus or waiting for a train especially if it's late it's fine if i don't know what time the bus is going to leave but if the bus says it's going to leave at 3 p.m and it's 
3 10 p.m then i get angsty but mm -hmm. if it's going to leave when it's full on wednesday afternoon then i'm fine um the other issue that i have is flying i really hate flying because so much of that is actually much more difficult because you can't look out the window because it's very boring it's like oh there's a cloud oh that cloud looks very similar to the cloud i saw three hours ago um, i mean you could say the same about hills though yeah but the hills change all the time the clouds don't the cloud is basically just like a a a, a, a white thing a, a white fluffy blanket that looks exactly the same because you're flying at such a high speed over the top of it that it, it just kind of merges into one almost it's like it's like when you're on a car or a bus or a train and you see a hill in the distance but the hill is so far away that no matter how far you go the hill looks like it's in the same place mm -hmm. that but with white cloud nothing else on the horizon and i i just find flying boring um it's it's un and uncomfortable so you don't you don't find it easy to sort of drift off into a podcast or whatever when you're on a plane then no 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 um there's too much noise oddly um the plane itself the internal inside a plane makes too much noise for me able to be to for me to be able to hear my podcasts uh mm. well enough uh what i do i tend to on long haul is i tend to just lose myself playing games on the in-flight entertainment system um but short haul short haul is yeah it's close to my idea of hell um because you know I'm, I'm stuck in a seat with very little leg room nothing to see out the window nothing to do and the space i've got is not big enough for me to you know get comfortable and read a book or anything yeah i suppose um, if you're taller then that must be a special kind of torture for you yeah i mean i recently had a seven and a half hour overnight bus ride that was vaguely similar um and i spent most of it listening to podcasts and wishing that you know uh, i was on a train um because i did not have any leg room at all despite buying some but they moved me to a different coach um so that was oh, how annoying very See, i'm okay because i'm small enough to fit in like an overhead locker so it's fine <laughs> what, I, what i really wish i could do would be to you know sort of have room detachable body parts <laughs> wish i was bionic i mean that that could be a whole new space I like the idea of a chat about transhumanism and bionic body parts. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> In the future, we are all non-binary. Um, <laughs> yes. So In we've pretty much established that solo travel is your thing for a myriad of reasons, but there have been times when you have travelled with people. So what was that like for you? Um. I mean, for the most part, it's awkward. Um, <laughs> we, well, I, it depends on who I'm traveling with. Um, it's like, you know, we're interfering in each other's spaces. And I'm, despite the fact that traveling with people sometimes gives me more confidence to be who I am, I'm always worried that my travel companions might not actually appreciate who I am the way I am. And that I'm maybe best off just reining myself in a bit which you know irks me a little um the thing is i suspect that you know 90 percent of my feelings about traveling with people are ideas that exist purely in my own head but because i'm I, because i'm not used to being around people just in general i don't 
have a baseline to work from. So I don't generally know how I come across to people and how they come across to me because I don't experience it very often. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that the few times I have traveled with people, it's been a much better experience than I've expected. Um, although most of the time these are entirely people I already know. So you normally when you do travel, you travel with people that you're already very close with, don't you? It would be very difficult for me to travel with someone that I didn't already know well enough that they felt comfortable traveling with me as well as mm. me being comfortable traveling with them. Um, so, you know, all being well, the end of this month, uh, May, I would be taking a short trip to France with one of my closest friends. And then in July, I am supposed to be traveling around Ireland with someone I used to date about 12 to 13 years ago. So they're both people that know me really well and actively want to travel with me. And that, that's something that rarely happens, that people actively want to travel with me. So, you know, it's nice that they like me enough, despite my preferences and my personality. Um, <laughs> what, what's, what's interesting is that I've almost never stayed friends with people I've met up with while traveling. You know, sort of the people you meet on, on tours or in hostels or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they're just sort of people I pass in my past. I would imagine that's similar for a lot of people, though. I don't know, obviously, so I don't do a lot of travel, but um, I don't know. It feels like something that you would really intend to keep in contact with them, but then just not. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very good at that because once, you know, once I've moved on to a new destination, I've kind of forgotten what happened. Um, so, yeah. Uh, um, we've got somebody requesting to speak, so I'm just going to hand the microphone over to them for a minute. Oh, it's Miranda. Hello, Miranda. Hello. Hi. It keeps going off. Everyone needs to be a bit more careful. I was interested to to hear the opinion about whether you travel, traveling alone, having backpacked to Australia, and that you don't often make friends with people or long-term friendships, should I say, with the people you backpack with. I mean, that's absolutely... The same experience that I had. I met hundreds of people in the year I spent traveling, but out of all those hundreds, there's only two people that mm. I stayed friends and continued to remain friends with. Um, one's in Canada and one's in Australia, and one was in a, coming back from traveling herself. So it is quite interesting because I also started to learn as I traveled around that it's fine to be yourself because you're literally just, you know, what do they call it? Boats in the night. You're just, you're just passing these people and it no longer matters. Mm. I suppose that helps with um, general confidence when you're traveling alone as well, that you do get a chance to just be yourself, knowing that you're never going to see those people again. Yeah. It's much more authentic. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely found that as well. I, I, I've, I mean, I've said it myself in that I'm, I'm happier being myself in, you know, somewhere like Australia than I am in the old town I used to live in. Yeah, because absolutely. I, I lived in my old town, so people would see me day in and day out, whereas in Australia it's like, you're not going to see me again. So exactly. that's exactly right. <laughs> but you also meet, I mean, I had an old boss that always said to me, there's only 50,000 real people in the world. The rest are cardboard cutouts. He used to go climbing around <laughs> Nepal and stuff. And he said, there's always somebody you meet who knows somebody you meet, you know, who knows somebody that knows somebody. Yeah. He says, you only go back about six people before you actually do bump into somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah. I had a really weird one when I was in China. I think I'm going to talk about this shortly, uh, the trip itself, but I was in China about 20 years ago and we were in a small town in the middle of one of the, in the middle of the countryside. And there were two backpackers there who came from the same small village as one of my pen pals in Ireland. 
Yeah. Bearing in mind that that village had a population of probably only about a thousand. That that that's quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, I had that also in Australia. I had a because uh, you always ask where somebody comes from, you know, where you're coming from, where you're going to, mm-hmm. the standard sort of questions. And one said, oh, you won't have heard of it. And I said, well, try me. And it was Mel Mowbray where I went to college. And yeah. um, and although I didn't know her, she she knew one of my closest friends from college and she had been her best friend at, at high school. So you have that strange sort of abstract one step away connection. And yeah. I've, I have I had that with about three or four people where they knew somebody that I knew. I suppose the backpacking world is quite small, really. There's in certain age groups. I mean, I was an older backpacker. I was I was 28 when I when I went around Australia, and a lot of them are either doing a gap year at 18 or they're in their early early 20s. There are also some that are older as well. I mean, there was a woman in the hostel in Perth. She was 70. She was a Buddhist. She was British, but she was still in hostels, traveling around as a you know as a Buddhist in full shaved head, um, orange clothing and stuff. And and you meet just such diverse people and that also when you're traveling alone you're much more open to that i feel than when you're traveling with people nearly everybody i met who was traveling with somebody had at some point had an argument who they're traveling with or fallen out (laughs) or come apart i did an organized tour around europe when i first as a sort of i call it my trial run if i can't get on this bus to go around europe on an organized tour there's no way i can get on that plane to go to australia was my sort of thinking and it was i was petrified and I had a friend who I used to call and he would coach me, you can do this, you can do this. <laughs> and, um, but there, there were, I was, most of them were traveling alone. There was a couple, I mean, there were actual couples, like male and female couples. And there was also, you know, there was two girls that were friends, but a lot of them were singles. And a friend of mine, Jo, she had been, she'd started off traveling with a friend and they had this, or, and, and her boyfriend, this friend's boyfriend. And the two of them had literally split up during the travel. He'd <laughs> gone back home. And then uh, and she'd fallen out with her friends, so she'd ended up again on her own. So I sort of thought that you see the feel of travelling on your own if that's how it can turn out. What a nightmare! That's the thing. I was always I never planned to travel alone, but I wanted to go travelling, and and I didn't have anybody to travel with. So you don't, you know, you just do it, and it's actually not so bad. My brother had travelled around India. He'd by himself backpacking for about five months, and he was living in Hong Kong when I when I went to Australia. So I sort of did that thing where I landed in Hong Kong and spent 10 days with him. And he was just so excited about me going traveling that that enabled me to get on the next plane to Australia. And <laughs> it was so easy. Australia is probably the easiest place you could backpack. You call the hostel from the airport. They come and fetch you. You don't carry your backpack anyway. You don't really do anything but bounce, <laughs> bounce from place to place. I mean, some people just stay in one place like their entire trip. I met plenty of those and I didn't want to be one of those and I wasn't one of those but but I I trained it round which I was more grateful for than doing them than bussing it because I missed all the what I call the party buses with the groups of the youngsters all just <laughs> wanting to drink heavily and on the train you meet the locals you meet and and yeah. I mean, train trips in Australia that sounds like oh just the train up the road no the, the shortest train journey was seven hours the longest train journey was 21 hours so when you sit down next to somebody on one of these trips you're there for a while so you get a chance to really hear about the country hear about the culture hear about the, the real life and and i i enjoyed that side of it so much do you know miranda you've accidentally just um led really nicely into the next question that i had for barefoot backpacker because <laughs> um, i was going to ask you barefoot um what is your opinion of group travel then like organized group tours is that like your idea of hell where the party buses, like Miranda was talking about, there and things like 
the Venga bus is coming. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly the song. His bailings <laughs> just sing. Oh God. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I mean, it, it's not something I've I've done terribly often. Um. So from an outsider's point of view, I actually consider there to be several kinds of group travel. Mm. So you know, at the one end, you've got you know one hour long walking tours of city centres. So you all meet up at a specified location, and you all go your separate ways at the end. And then on the others, you've got the coach tours like you were talking about, the, the yeah. you know, sort of ones so beloved of students of my generation. Well, uh, and I, was, all... I was the only Brit. They were yeah. all Australians and New Zealanders. There was one South African and we had a group of Malaysians, funnily enough, and two Ooh. Koreans, I think, on our trip. But I was the only Brit, so that was very odd. I found that at that time, which was the end of the 90s, most of the Brits all did interrailing. Yeah. And there's also the Eurobus where you can get off and get on. Whenever yeah. you you know you buy a ticket, I don't know how quite how was Canadian friend also did that around Europe. Well, I, I, I was being a bit more um, scaredy cat <laughs> when in an organised, and we had tents as well. It was horrible. I'll never camp mm. again. <laughs> but I, that's also why I didn't want to bus Australia because after that, that was enough. Twenty eight days <laughs> of the same people. Yeah, I mean, because when I was certainly when I was younger, one of the popular ones was I think it was called Contiki. Yeah, was imposing. Yeah. I did top deck. There's top deck and Kentucky. Oh, yeah. I knew there was a second one. I couldn't remember the name of it. Uh, yeah. yeah so, I mean, I, and the way I've described it is it's kind of they're more fueled by alcohol than petrol. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but the yeah. other, the other type of, of coach tour that I've come across is the opposite. It's it's the it's the um it's the elderly, the retired people, the sort of things you see advertised in you know, middle class newspapers and magazines. And I'll go to places yeah. like the World War and battlefields and the River Rhine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I my, my, my in-laws here in Holland, they would yeah. do trips to like Austria with a group and stuff <laughs> like that. And sometimes they go on boats as well. They do the little boat ones into yeah. Germany and yeah. stuff. But they're all that age group as well. I did it once. Um, I, uh, me and my then girlfriend, we took five days in Poland on a, on a coach tour uh, over Christmas. It was back in 1996. And we were the youngest people on that coach by about <laughs> 25 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did that in a hotel. We were staying in a hotel in Fort William in Edinburgh, no, on the way in Scotland, on the on our trip with Ron's parents, my husband's parents, um, and we went stayed at this hotel where we were playing cards in the evening as well. And when we sat there, even his parents sort of looked at us and they said, "Even we feel young in this room," because <laughs> it was a particular hotel that seemed to obviously attract all the older couples. All the old yeah. couples. <laughs> Is that a bit like a cruise then, but in a bus? Like you drive around and stop at various. They called different... it an orientation tour. Is what they call the top deck tour. Um, no. The driver was Australian. The tour guide was Australian. <laughs> None of them were actually European. Um, and they call it an orientation. So you go to each place that you go to, They you stop, you know, you drive in usually in the mid-afternoon. They stop, they do a quick walk around town to orientate you. And then the next day, if you, depending on which city it was, you get to, to, to go in and spend the day looking around yourself. Then you meet back in the evening. And then the next morning you pack up onto the next place. I think we stayed in Rome two nights and I think we stayed in Paris two nights, but mostly between that we were sort of you know they're very quick visits and the idea is you get an idea of what you want to go and see again and then you go back by yourself and you go and visit I was going to say because for you Bethel that would be your idea of hell wouldn't it not being mm -hmm. able to pick your own structure and just wander off and do your thing and be spontaneous in that way yeah 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 I mean I uh, yeah absolutely it, it's so um a while ago 
um, September 2002, I did do a coach tour. Uh, I not coach tour it was a, it was an organized group we spent a lot of time on coaches but we also did trains it was around china and we wow. went from, went from hong kong to beijing via sichuan province um mm. and it was an interesting interesting because um their tour group in question were very flexible about the minutiae so basically all they said was i needed to be was stay in the hotels make sure i'm on time for the transport whatever i do in any place apart from that is entirely up to me so they, they organized trips to various attractions, but there was no obligation to take those trips. Um, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, yeah my, my, my objection to tour groups in general is that lack of flexibility, because it always feels like uh, in, in the main that you're taken en masse to a place, shoved around it for you know not very long at all, enough to take a few pictures and go to the souvenir shop, and then yeah. back on the coach to the next place. And like yeah, I... Trips. <laughs> Yeah, I, I should prefer to take my time, go at my own speed and go where I want to rather than, you know, where the tour group needs me to go. And as an aside, that's why I've never fancied the idea of an ocean cruise, because it's like stuck in the same group of people in an enclosed space for two weeks doesn't excite me in the first place. And I, yeah, those cruise ships are big, but that's not kind of where I get my excitements. So, you know, I, I, I travel and I don't stay in big posh hotels. And one of the reasons for this is because uh, there's no point. I wouldn't make use of the facilities. I'd rather be exploring a city or the countryside rather than spending time in a hotel. And cruising just feels like you know, the exact opposite of that. I need a bed, not three restaurants, a swimming pool, a gym and cabaret. Um, <laughs> it's like think... being stuck in your hotel, isn't it? Because you can't even step yeah. outside of it. No, Actually, you can't get off. I mean, they do stop in ports, but it's not the same. No, I, yeah. I, I agree. It's never appealed. My, my, also my biggest fear, because my husband would love to do a trip around the fjords in Norway. But my biggest fear, particularly on the ocean ones, is is a big ocean storm because I get dreadfully seasick yeah. in that, those sort of instances, and it would terrify me as well. Yeah, just I would <laughs> I'd find it really difficult. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, well, actually, that leads on to something I was going to ask you as well. Like, what happens if you get sick when you're alone when you're traveling? Uh, then I get sick and die. Um, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't happen very often, it doesn't happen, and I, and I never get sick enough to need a companion to help. I mean, maybe it will. So, you know, my, my Twitter friends have this, this um, bookmaking thing about ways in which Barefoot Backpacker is going to die. No, I'm not in on that. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the one of the most popular, one of the favourite is that I'll you know break a leg falling from a hiking trail and die alone in the wilderness because no book is going to come that way for the next few hours. That the second most popular is getting hit by a car because I can't cross roads correctly, can't judge where the car is, can't judge how fast it's going. Um, and I was, many I was in Australia with an American and, and I saved her life many times because she they drive on the left in Australia as well as in England. Mm. So she was always looking the wrong way and I quickly shoved my arm out and stopped her stepping out <laughs> right into a car. But I had a friend, my best friend in Australia, when she was travelling, she did a five-year world sort of travelling backpacking and um, she got malaria um, in Africa and she actually was flying into Amsterdam when it, when it got really bad. And she basically spent five days in the hostel in Amsterdam in this bed suffering malaria she got some medicine she managed to sort of be conscious enough to get this some medicine for it that she would set a timer and wake up to take but she talked about having had this nightmare where somebody was shaking her, and I said well did it ever occur to you that somebody in the actual hostel was making sure you were still alive and she mm. said oh no that never occurred to me and I was <laughs> quite surprised at that <laughs> 
There's going to be a worse illness to get, I think. Traveling. Yeah. Mm. Oh. I suppose like, there's no good illness to get when you're traveling. No, but... that's true. I mean, I think as I say that, and then I think about my brother, he came back from India. He did five months in India. My mother flew out to Delhi and they traveled to Nepal together. And my brother came back with Guardia and he'd already had it for a very long time. He looked absolutely shocking. He'd lost half, more than half his body weight. My mother managed to come back with salmonella poison, poisoning because she, uh, salmonella in her stomach because she, um, I felt sorry for this restaurant because nobody was eating there. So, oh and, she, and she ordered eggs on top yeah. of that. So <laughs> well, it even worse. A previous space together on um, staying healthy while you were traveling. <laughs> I think Barefoot mentioned that you want to eat somewhere where a lot of local people eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what my brother said in Hong Kong. He kept stopping at these roadside kiosks. I'm like, are these good? And he said, oh, yeah, everybody eats at these. This is, this is where you get, get your food. So does um, traveling on your own not end up working out more expensive? Um, um, I'm a bad person to ask that. Um, I, I, I stay in a lot of backpacker hostels. So, you know, where the price is per bed. So it kind of doesn't matter how many people there are. You just pay for the same individually. Or I'll stay in rooms in people's houses, you know, like Airbnb and couch surfing, where, you know, you're an expected one person's expected anyway. I've never noticed anything weird regarding transportation. What mm. I have noticed is hidden expenses. So because I have a short attention span and I only stay in a place for a short time, this means I will tend to eat out more than I will cook for myself. And this is mainly because there's no point in me buying a whole host of things from the supermarket because I'd end up having to leave them when I move on somewhere else. Yeah. So when I, when I cook for myself, I can, you know, at home, I can create leftovers for the next couple of days. And I can then use what I don't cook with that night to create something else the next day. Whereas if I'm only staying in a town for one or two nights, there's no point in me buying you know, a 500 gram bag of pasta because I won't be able to take it when I move on somewhere else. Mm. So while eating out isn't more expensive solo, the fact that I do it more because I'm solo means that I am going to be spending more traveling alone on food because I, that's just practically it's more it's easier. The other expense is travel, um, but it's specifically off the beaten path travel. So if I want to go somewhere off kilter that's not accessible by public transport, um, and partly this is also because I don't drive, but you know even if I could, having a car is still more expensive. Um, but if I want to visit an attraction that's, you know, several miles out of town and there's no buses or trains, the only way to get there is probably by taxi, which mm. on your own is hideously expensive. That's so and, and this is this is another thing about about group tours. It's like one of the advantages of group tours is it allows access to remoter places. Yeah. So, um, for example, I went to the Aral Sea and. I only managed to get there because I was looking online and found one other person who wanted to go and was around there at about the same dates that I was there. So we pulled together and we went. Otherwise, it would have been horrendously expensive to get there on my own because uh, I'd have to source taxi rides and arrange accommodation. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about, you know, going to Russia. And it's like if I wanted to take a trip up the NSI River in Siberia, I, the only way I'm going to do that is on a group tour. Yeah. Um, and when, when I was in Australia, oh, yeah. because I chose to train it, the trains ran roughly, you know, there was a whole schedule, you know, but only every three to four days to pick up each train as I was going up to the north. Um, but all the train stations are outside of the major towns. They're quite a long way out. Yep. Usually they had a bus 
on you know a bus service laid on when you arrived but to get there i would often get a taxi i mean i people sort of looked at me with envy other backpackers because a lot of them didn't have that kind of budget but i had budgeted for it so i had had enough for it but it is it's very costly to go off road in australia you could also look at the notice boards and often if somebody was driving they were looking for other people to drive with them to share petrol costs and i did that with two um uh, Irish girls to go north from Perth to Cervantes to see the Pinnacle Desert and they also were going down south to Margaret's River where I wanted to go and then they dropped me off there as they then carried on I think they went further south but that's the only way to get to those you know unless there is public transport like Perth really has no trains outside 20 minutes outside of the city and and it's buses or car so yep. So it's quite, it, it can, you know. Oh, yeah, you haven't got people to share that taxi fare with. They must mount up quite quickly then. Yeah. Yeah, I remember spending $55 to get from uh, Harvey Bay back to the train station when I left left there. And that, that was quite a lot of money to, to spend on a taxi. Mm. But it was a 45-minute bus ride. And then I also got the story of the town, which is where it's basically full of alcoholics and people who are quitting suicide a lot. So you also get... <laughs> A very different storyline to what you would imagine when you when you're sort of you know just in the back in the hospitals. <laughs> so, but I I mean it's also how you meet a lot of strangers. When I went from Harvey Bay to go, the the, the attraction there is um, Fraser Island, which is uh, so basically a tropical rainforest on an all sand island with these freshwater lakes on it, and uh, and basically you would put your name down on this list, and seven of you are thrown together in a, in a jeep, and off you go, sort of thing, and you just have to literally try and get on with the people you find there. And fortunately, I've always managed to do that okay, but uh, but it's it's not always easy. I guess you would struggle with that barefoot because of your social anxiety as well. Um, mostly, yeah. I mean, I've done it. As I say, when I went to the RLC, I, I arranged to online to meet with someone who was going there as well. So he shared taxi costs and I'd never met them before. Um, but See, that would scare me getting in a taxi with somebody that I didn't know. And I was, I was going to come to this in a moment anyway, but um, you are non-binary, but um, you're also quite mask presenting. You said earlier, quite tall. Is there anywhere that you would go alone that you would be wary of advising your female presenting friends to go alone that's not my per that's not my question to answer that's not my place to say mainly because everyone's got their own view of risk and mm. i don't have the experience to feel the dangers that my female presenting friends might have so for instance you know i i've wandered through the streets of katunu the largest city in benin at night down a road, admittedly it was a main road, but it was down a road with no street lights in a semi-industrial area that wasn't at all busy. And I felt perfectly safe and in no danger. Others may have a different perception of that. But mm. because I'm not them, because I don't know what they feel and what they think, what their perception of risk is, it's not for me to give travel advice like that. Because yeah. I, I just don't know. And, and, and even my female and female presenting friends on Travel Twitter will disagree about places. So I've got one friend that says the Turkey was the worst place she'd ever been to for female safety concerns. But another friend of mine on Twitter says that she's been there a couple of times and never had any troubles at all. So it might well depend on who you are, where you go and just, you know, which way the wind's blowing. Yes, all in all places, you're going to have some areas that are safer than others for different people, yeah. aren't you? My brother travelled in India and he said often a lot of the single female travellers, backpackers he met, asked if they could travel with him because they didn't feel mm -hmm. safe. Mm -hmm. And he had many instances where 
girls were touched by men, you know, because they see a white Western woman um, and they assume that means she's loose. So they would attempt to touch her. Mm. Um, he's, he said he experienced that many times and that he would pretend to be their husband. Whenever he met up with them, he said there was one woman who was with her boyfriend and she lived with him. And she said, uh, this man came up, this Indian man came up and asked her if she was married. And she said, oh, no, we live together. And she, he said it was quite frightening. There was about seven Indian men just rushed at her, trying mm. to touch her and stuff. And he said it, after that, she sort of learnt that she had to say she was married. And it was the only way that it, she could feel safe. Mm. And I mean, I experienced it in Barbados. I experienced um, have being touched on buses and stuff, and I was quite unnerved by it. But my Bayesian friend, who I was with, he was it's a, bit, a little bit annoyed with me. He said, "Why didn't you just slap him?" He said, "You know, a, a Bayesian woman would have just turned around and slapped him really hard across the face and told him not to touch you." And I thought, "Yeah, I'm very English. I'm far too reserved to do that." I suppose that does come back to what Barefoot was saying earlier as well, though, about how diff- like if you're in a different place and you're perceived as being like the the stupid foreigner a little bit um then it is a little bit easier to take advantage of you people do try and push things a little bit further than they otherwise would because you know you're an easier target in that yeah and he wasn't sitting next to me he was sitting on a different in in buses in in barbados because there's so few of the sort of public run these are the private run ones and they're huge like like minibuses as so they squish in about 20 30 people and um and you basically hail it as it drives past but because it was busy, he was sitting in front, you know, further up, in, in, and I was sitting mm-hmm. in the back, and this man was just trying to put his hand on my leg each time, and I just kept moving my leg and kept moving my leg. And then when I got up, he put his hand on my bottom, and I was like, oh, my God. But I was obviously getting off. And so when I told my friend when I got off, he said, you should have just turned around and slapped him really hard. But to me, that was, yeah, very alien, very yeah. alien idea. It was the only time, only experience at the one time there as well, so I wouldn't tar the whole nation with that brush. You know, it was mm-hmm. – uh, I haven't. I never felt unsafe – I don't think I ever felt unsafe in that way in Australia at all, even traveling, you know, alone on trains and stuff. But mostly I was always sitting next to somebody and, you know, there was always somebody to strike up a conversation with. So mm-hmm. as, as a woman, I didn't necessarily. But when people talked about traveling Thailand, somebody suggested me to do that instead of go straight back to England in January. Um, I, that I didn't feel safe to travel alone for myself personally because it was a country very unknown to me and a very different culture. So I did. I wasn't as as keen. Yeah, I mean, all I can tell you is I can tell you that there are places that I felt wary and slightly unsafe, and Luton. And you can possibly <laughs> Luton is not that bad. <laughs> and you, you, you 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 can you can postulate. You know, if if I feel unsafe traveling solo somewhere, the chances are most people will feel unsafe traveling yeah. to that place. Yeah. There are always places. I mean, I used to, you know, go to work here, living here in Ghana in Holland, going to work and coming back back by train if it was dark. I, I never felt comfortable coming out of the train station. There were always cars that seemed to do so. Well, I was waiting for my husband to pick me up. There was always cars doing these circles round, you know, with lads in and stuff. Mm-hmm. That always makes me feel, I'm sure, Rotterdam train station always used to make me feel like that as well, like travelling it at night because I used to host a, a drinks, a social group. So I used to travel there at night as well before I had my car. So yeah, I think anywhere can feel more intimidating exactly. at night. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I've, I've, someone tried to mug me once. It's the only time in my life I've ever been attempted mugging and I ran off because I'm quicker than they are. Was um, that in Luton? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was in West Bromwich. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> the town the town I lived in at the time. And, you know, I, 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 West Bromwich is, I mean, West Bromwich is nice enough. It's, it's, it's nothing terribly interesting. There's no reason why you would go there as a tourist. I just happen to be living there. Um, but it's a bit like the town I lived in in Nottinghamshire, Kirkby and Ashfield. It's like walking through Kirkby and Ashfield in the middle of the night made me more wary than walking through, you know, Katunu or, you know, um, anywhere really at <laughs> night because, because it was a place I knew well, so I knew what it was like. Yeah. Um, and also, as, as, as we said before, it's that sense of uh, it's familiar. So I know people, people know me, or at least, you know, they'll see me around. So, mm. um, so I, had, I had that in Brixton. My brother shared a house in Brixton when he was at university in the 80s, the late 80s. And uh, going from the train station to, you know, to the house sometimes. I know I was followed at least twice on, to, mm. you know, on two occasions. But you just... You just have to look like you know where you're going and what you're yeah. doing. And my mother would always maybe travel with an umbrella in case I needed to hit somebody. <laughs> Not quite sure that it would really help, but I suppose working with a sense of purpose and confidence um, probably shields you from a lot of things. Um, we talked about that in a in a couple of spaces ago um, mm. on personal safety. Yeah. And um, so. Um, I'm conscious that we've kind of overrun a little bit, but I've only got one more question for you anyway. Um, what I was going to ask you is, if somebody is listening now yep. and they've wanted to travel for ages, but they haven't had anyone to go with, yep. where should they start with travelling on their own? They should start by travelling, if they've never done it before, they should start by travelling somewhere local to where they live so they get used to the concept of travelling in the first place. So maybe take day trips from the house or then go up to you know weekends away and like, a local big city or something and then it's a case of if you want to go abroad find somewhere that's comfortable culturally for you that's familiar that's easy or easy in the sense that you kind of understand what it's like but still different enough to be interesting so yeah. for example, if, you, if you lived in say um the united kingdom then your chances are you've probably got a couple of years of school school child French in your head that you can probably pull out if necessary. So take a weekend in Paris uh, or maybe if you want to go somewhere else, Dublin or, you know, um, Copenhagen, somewhere that's sort of comfortable, somewhere that's relaxed, somewhere that you know that you can get around and there won't be, it's not going to be too different for you certainly mm. when i'm traveling um there are places that i've been traveling that have been very different to what i'm used to but i've only been able to be comfortable there because i've spent so much time previously traveling and building up to it mm. if, um, what i always say about backpackers actually specifically backpackers is if you're wanting to go somewhere for your first interesting backpacking experience i've always said go to southeast asia because it's historical it's interesting it's culturally different but also there's so many other backpackers that are mm. doing it that yeah. it, it's hard to, it, uh, you will travel solo, but it's hard to stay solo because you will always end up bumping into people. And then I suppose you get a little sense of familiarity as well when you're seeing a few of the same faces, like yes. when you're on various trips and things that, that must fit, make <laughs> you feel a little bit safer as well. It, it happened to a friend of mine, one of my good friends that I, I actually traveled with um, years back on the Trans-Siberian Railway but she was the best friend of my ex-fiancé. And she now lives in Edinburgh, uh, but she's French. 
And she was backpacking for a year. She was basically going from, she was working in Australia. She'd got one of those working visas. Mm -hmm. And she was heading back home to France as much as possible by overland. But in Southeast Asia and heading into China, she kept bumping into the same group of lads. <laughs> they, they kept meeting in the hostel. And then she kind of kept in touch with them. And now they've been married for about 15 years. Oh, that's a lovely story. <laughs> yeah, my, my friend Linda, Linda met uh, Craig on our organised tour and they're now married. Linda was taking a break from her marriage because her husband had been unfaithful. And when she came back, she found out he continued to be. So they finally dissolved the marriage. And she stayed in touch with Craig and they'd only made a friendship. Craig had actually gone off with one of the tour guides, actually, on the trip. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he came over from New Zealand for three months, spent it in Australia with her. And now she lives in Dunedin in New Zealand with him. She's got her own beauty business. He's a, he's a shepherd, literally. They've got a farm. And uh, yeah, and it was so weird to see like her wedding pictures because, of course, his brother was with him on the organised tour, so he's there as well. And it was just, the whole thing was quite surreal. <laughs> it, was sort of, it was weird to think, oh, my gosh, you guys actually got married. And they got to have two children as well. So. so basically, if you are wanting to travel on your own, and you've been a bit scared about it. If Barefoot Backpacker can manage it, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I can manage it without killing myself uh, in some strange and weird way that's, you know, <laughs> then yes. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> there are still many hills I haven't climbed and fallen off. There's still many roads I haven't crossed and been run over at. Uh, we have... Um, pretty much come to the end of all of my questions on the solo travel topic unless anybody else has some that they want to ask no, no. Okay. well so i'd look, just like to finish off by reminding anybody that's listening about um your travel tales podcast which can be found on barefoot-backpacker.com and also insider knowledge here um i've heard that you're due to launch your newsletter very soon and How so yes Yes, so I have heard. And so um, it's well worth keeping an eye on your link tree, um, which we will probably tweet just after this. Um, but it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Barefoot Backpacker. And there you can find all of their social networks and the podcast and website. And eventually the newsletter sign up will be on there as well. Yay. And there will be a new logo coming soon as well. Yes, yes, because uh, the artist is just finalising that this evening. Excellent. It's been ever so lovely talking to you. Thank you very much to Miranda for joining in and sharing your experiences. You're as no well. And you can catch up with all of our previous spaces on um, Barefoot Backpackers' website. So, yeah, thanks ever so much for joining us this evening. I still don't know how to end spaces, so I end them like phone calls and say bye, 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 bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Glasgow studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass Bonus by Kai Angel, which is available by the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Previous episodes will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. 
If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. The podcast has a Facebook group at travel.tales.beyond.brochure, and I have a Patreon for access to rare extra content. That's patreon.com slash traveltalesbeyondbrochurepod. Until next time, have safe journeys. Bye for now. Bye.